subscribe and turn on those notification bells on YouTube and become part of the Patreon family at jfree906. I'm really excited about today's guest. Follow along as you see today's guest. Bye. All right, we are live. Hey, welcome everyone to the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond live stream. I am your host, Jeff Freeman, and returning as my special co-host, we have Alessandra Nadavari. Welcome, Alessandra. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hello, everybody. I am so glad to have you here. And I know that a lot of people, probably uh, some people, uh, may not know uh, all about you, Alessandra. So I'd like to take just a moment, if we could, uh, before we bring on our special guest tonight, I'd like to you know, tell us a little bit. Now you live, or actually you don't live, but you own property up in New Ross, Nova Scotia, right? Yes, that, that's okay. right, Jeff. Uh, my husband, Tim, and I own the so-called castle in the town of New Ross. It was featured on the Curse of Oak Island in season four and on some other shows and in books. So uh, it's quite mysterious and we're still trying to find out how it's linked to Oak Island. I'm also a um, local author. I write fiction for um, teens, I guess. You can see my books right yep. behind me. And I'm just a big fan of the Curse of Oak Island and the mystery of the treasure, 10x, flood tunnels. I um, watch every episode. So I guess I have been following that mystery for many, many years now, even before the Curse of Oak Island started. Yeah, I know. And and that's the thing is that you are such a great researcher. Um, and it, we've had you on featured you as has mm -hmm. our guest uh, before. And that was one of twice. And that was great. And you've helped me co-hosting a couple of times. I tell you what, it's awesome to have you here. And I know that, uh, you know, being a researcher and also an author in those books behind you, you have a website. Would you what's what's the uh, what's your website? Ad, the address to your website? www.adventuresofniki.com. All right. Adventures of Nikki is the name of my series. And I also have a YouTube channel that's called Templar Island. And I post file interviews there. Oh, you're subscribed. Okay, yep. awesome. Well, I am subscribed to the channel. So we pat each other's back. Yep. <laughs> So check that out, folks. If you have not been there before, it's uh, www.adventuresofnikki.com. And then mm -hmm. the YouTube channel again was, what was that? Templar Island. Templar Island. Okay, cool. Because so, I think that Oak Island um, was visited by Templars. I do too. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. And I again, thank you so much for co-hosting with me here tonight. Jack, step aside one more time to, uh, to, uh, to allow in to have you come on. And we just love having you on. He was more than happy to, uh, to do that. So anyway, all right, folks, we have our very special guest con, uh, on with us here tonight. I'm about to bring him on and he is the CEO of Abbott underwater acoustics. Uh, they are based, I believe he, he lives in, uh, in Michigan and lower Michigan. Um, and without further ado, let's bring on Brian Abbott, Mr. Abbott. Thank you so hey. much for coming on today. You're welcome. It's good to be here with you guys. Nice to meet you. I tell you what, we, uh, I've, I, you know, there's so many times that we are interviewing some of our uh, theorists that have been on Oak Island and talking with them. Um, and that's wonderful. And we love getting that information from them. Uh, it's also nice every now and then, like tonight, to look at the more technical side of things yeah. that have happened on the island. And I know you've been involved in 10X, scanning 10X and all of that. Uh, we'll get to that as we go along. But I wanted to spend just a few minutes, if we could, learning a little bit about 
you and your company. So now you've been involved in the underwater acoustics and the scanning and sonar for quite a few years. Am I right? Yeah. Um, originally I started, um, as an engineer, um, my take it way back. My dad was a bridge engineer in the state of Michigan. And many years ago, he uh, retired from MDOT and started his own bridge uh, company. And I was just kind of farting around at the time. And I was working for him part time here and there. And he hired a commercial diving company to do an underwater inspection of a bridge. And my dad didn't quite get commercial diving. And the divers didn't understand anything my dad wanted. So it was kind of like a light bulb moment to me. So I went back to school and got my uh, degrees in civil engineering. Then I went overseas to Scotland uh, in Fort William. There's a city called, uh, there was uh, the Underwater Center. It's now defunct, but it was a commercial diving school. Oh, wow. trained divers to uh, work in the North Sea and so forth. So I went to school there for about five months uh, learning the commercial diving trade. Then I took that into the uh, civil engineering world, doing underwater inspections of structures. So bridges, dams, ports and harbors and so forth. Um, You know, it's diving. People got to understand diving is a mode of transport to the work site. And so that's how I looked at it. Um, I'm there to inspect a structure and so forth. And, you know, uh, I was doing it for several years and so forth. Then I had a kind of a an epiphany on a bridge I was inspecting and um, there was a huge hole under this bridge and it was filled with uh, logs and shopping carts and bicycles and it was zero visibility and 45 degree water. And I didn't have any idea how to inspect the size of this hole. And I'll I'll be honest with you, I missed the size of the hole. It was triple the size of the hole I thought it was. So the the people weren't real happy with what I told them as an engineer, and I'm supposed to be an engineer of record and a big PE and stuff. So I needed a better way. And I ran into this person at a trade show that was talking about uh, using sonars to map things underwater. And they were using it in the oil and gas field in the Gulf of Mexico and stuff. Right. And I was like, nah, I don't want anything of that. I'm, a, I'm an engineer <laughs> and I'm a diver. He goes, no, you need to come talk this. And he finally kind of strong-armed me, and I went into the trade show, and I sat down, and I was blown away by what he did. And I ran Mm -hmm. over to him after the show, and I I said, look, we're going to the bar, and get ready because we're going to talk about this because I seen how to use it right away for bridges and dams Mm -hmm. because as a diver, if you're working in zero visibility, you can't see anything. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to be an engineer inspecting how big – how, how much deterioration, how big's the crack, how long's the crack, all this type of stuff. But if I can give you an image that shows you this, then I can do measurements just like that on that structure there. You can see the crack in the um, the lattice work or the timber frames that right is cracked here. here, and the ballast is poured out into the riverbed there. Right here. Yeah, and you can see wow. that one picture. Now, if I write a report, everyone's going to have their own different type of understanding what they see in their mind on this stuff. But with sonar, I was able to come in and take an image of this in less than a minute wow. and get that data and information. So I was one of two other companies in the world that were starting this kind of infrastructure system. So, um, and I did, uh, some really interesting stuff for a while. Then, the the manufacturer hired me part-time, which I've been with since uh, Conansburg, 
to work part-time with them on uh, special projects and test prototype equipment for them. So that's kind of what I do. I primarily do infrastructure things, mm-hmm. um, but now, but the infrastructure pays for me to go play, as I call it, to do shipwrecks, sunken cities, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, MIA work in the Pacific or Europe looking for uh, planes or tanks or vehicles that are lost in rivers or lakes and so forth. So pretty much anything underwater I'll go after and do. Yeah, that's uh, this was what I consider pretty much hallowed ground. This is on uh, the island of Tarawa, where in uh, oh, November yeah. 1943, the Marine Corps hit the beaches. And uh, we went out and we found nine vehicles, no, 12 vehicles out there, landing craft and tanks and stuff that far as we know, nobody knew about. We we're supposed to go back and look for a B-25 that's still missing. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so I, I take this really um, serious, and I really enjoy it. And uh, it really brings uh, uh, a really good peace of mind to to give closure to some family member that may be a, a great uncle or, uh, you know, uh, a brother to somebody if they're still alive and so forth. So, mm-hmm. um Pretty much anything underwater, I'll pretty much map and take a take a strike at to to do stuff. I pretty much love finding what's underwater. So that's fascinating. Thank you. So um, also, I know that uh, and and I and I learned this uh, by watching uh, the episodes that you were on. Now you were in uh, several episodes. Of course, uh, we know that it was uh, season two. I think it was. Let's see, my notes say episode nine and ten. You were in season three, episodes one and six. You were in season four. Um, And during that time when I was reviewing all of this and I had forgotten it until I went back and was watching those, that it talked about the fact that you were part of uh, a team that was working uh, with the uh, getting visuals on the Titanic. Is that correct? Yeah, I was part of the 2010 mapping expedition that went out. Um, It was kind of bizarre to me. because my dad being a civil engineer and building bridges always had to say, Brian, where's down at? So where's the point of zero, zero, zero? Where is, where are you going to start? And there'd been like 27, 26 expeditions to Titanic. And this is what it was explained to me. And nobody knew where anything was. It was like, okay, if we go to this position here, we drop down the submarine. And if we go this bearing, we'll run into the bow. Then if we go this far, at this direction, we'll run into the stern section. And I was like kind of blown away by that. But that whole expedition from uh, the people on Woods Hole and uh, other people that came as part of this huge conglomeration of teamwork um, used the deep water AUV systems to map a huge area, one by two miles, and target anything in that whole area. Then I was brought in to do acoustic imaging of the the bow section of Titanic, and from that, I was kind of be able to create one of the first 3D cloud points of wow. the bow section of Titanic and show what's kind of happening with the ship itself and so forth. And uh, there's a lot of cool, uh, fascinating things. I don't know a lot about Titanic. I leave that up to kind of the experts. I look at it as a big uh, piece of steel down there to go uh, acoustically image and and let yep. the the people interpret it what needs to be done and so forth. And, uh, um, you know, but there's a lot of things about it that's, um, I learned, uh, that are, you know, kind of depressing at times when you find out the people that, uh, perished on that ship and so forth. Um, you know, I just got back, um, from the Baltic sea. I was working on the passenger line, 
Estonia that sunk in 1994. I was out there doing a preliminary assessment for the Swedish government on that ship that, uh, you know, 852 people passed away on that. So mm. it's always kind of like, it's cool to go do these projects and you realize the loss of life on there can be, yeah. it's kind of hard to think about at times, you know, cause you, I love kids. I've got my own kids and stuff. When you think about kids in a dark room filling with water and, and crashing through the depths, it's, it's kind of hard to take at times. So yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, Titanic had um, a lot of cool uh, understanding of working at that depth that we needed to figure out how to map that. So we used side scan and multi-beam systems. Uh, we used uh, ROV systems. I know the guys at Wood Hole, they took probably, you know, 50,000 pictures all over Titanic and stuff. And they were hoping to uh, bring together a huge kind of like uh, photographic mosaic of the ship and kind of in 3D. So I don't know whatever happened to that at all. I was kind of part of the, you know, of the upper deck on a lot of things where mm -hmm. we're going. But the, the thing that I found that was pretty cool about it, I was able to map is that if you look at the tip of, of, of Titanic where, you know, um, uh, where, the, where the bow is and to the bottom where the keel is, is 30 meters roughly. But if you map it above the mud line, it's only 7.92 meters, so eight oh, meters. Wow. So you have 22 meters that's kind of missing or crushed underneath that hull. Wow. And so, you don't, I don't know if it's buried in the mud or it's collapsed on itself and so forth. So, you know, simple things like that hadn't been found out that we were able to go in and, and use that. Um, I took another partner of, of crime, I call him, my uh, good friend, Dan Vasey, uh, who is a phenomenal ROV pilot. Uh, works out in Santa Barbara City College as uh, the uh, uh, program director out there for commercial diving ROV operations out there. So we uh, uh, took him. So he assisted me in a lot of things and kept me out of trouble in a lot of ways. <laughs> so it's uh, uh, like, no, you can't do that, Brian. It's not a good idea. Well, yeah, we need to. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that. So uh, Dan was uh, a really good partner for me in that project. So but uh, yeah, it was it was a real pleasure to be part of that expedition in 2010. Yeah, that would be fascinating to be out there for sure. And and I know that and like you said, obviously there's some sort of, um, you know that 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 depressing feeling knowing that so many people lost their lives, and especially not only with the Titanic, maybe some of the other things that you've done, but also, like you said, with the MIA stuff. Um, yeah. You know, being out there and looking for those vehicles of and plane crashes and things like that, that has to be sort of surreal. I mean, in a way, you know, um, because you're helping people identify those who have been lost, yeah. but man, I, I don't know. I, I, have you, um, have you had, you know, do you, do you actually work with the families at all? I mean, were you connected with that or was it just trying to get the information for sometimes them? It's, sometimes it's families. Sometimes it's organizations such as History Flight or Bent Prop uh, that we've done things. You know, one of the things that I just kind of like, it was kind of like a gut blow to me, was that on Tarawa, we found a um, Higgins boat that was uh, broken in two, but unfortunately it was loaded with M1 rifles and helmets in about mm -hmm. 12 feet of water. And so that, that whole thing uh, told me that there were a bunch of Marines that were in that boat trying to get to the beach and uh, either it got hit by an artillery shell or a mine or something mm -hmm. that broke in two. 
But right. uh, there was probably 20 M1 rifles that we've seen and so forth on the uh, on the uh, on the on the bottom of that uh, uh, floor of the lagoon there. So yeah. Wow. Man, I tell you, that's that's got to be interesting. And I know that, you know, and I could, you know, it, this isn't the uh, the actual show for it. Maybe we'll have to have you back at some time sure. um, to talk about because there is a John Edwards and I are going to be working on a show coming up where we're talking about different types of things uh, beyond our world is what it's called. And we're going to be getting into not only UFOs, UAPs, but also the paranormal in it. Oh, really? I, okay. I, I kind of wanted to ask you for a second about that. But uh, again, I mean. I, you know, you would, you would get some, well, well I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll kind of get into that a little bit as okay. we talk about Oak Island. Cause I know in the pre-show, we kind of discussed that just a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, um, okay. So that I, I tell you, you know, it, it, with you doing all this interesting work like that, um, I, it, and it, like you said, it's, it's gotta be fascinating, not only in the respect that it's, it kind of probably feels like uh, in a way, it kind of seems to me like it'd be like a hobby, that you get to do that is so rewarding in the end. Um, but it's also your job. I mean, is that kind of how it feels to you? On that? Oh yeah. It's I'm playing. I'm, I never <laughs> want to retire. I, I don't want to quit. You know, um, you know, the only uh, problem I have right now is all the COVID issues and flying. Yep. Um, it's yep. just a pain in the butt. And, but I, 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 I if I see a piece of water, I want to know what's on the bottom. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't matter if it can be a local pond at an apartment complex or it can be the Pacific Ocean. And there's so many myths and legends out there. Um, you know, I go down. Unfortunately, I go down a lot of rabbit holes and reading mm. and TV shows just to keep abreast of things, because I will get at least one or two phone calls a week of somebody wanting me to go do something on some form of expedition to wherever to look for something and you can name it as somebody's anchor uh you know off the coast of malta uh you know some <laughs> ghost ship uh somewhere Hell you know man. uh there's just a lot of stuff i get involved with and i've got to be careful uh so i do try and read i do try and follow things on tv probably too much in the whole area of you know the the, the mystery the unknown and, and and so forth so I do try and keep myself abreast of that. Absolutely. So, so. I tell you what, let's, um, I, you know, we could talk. I, I, I'm just fascinated by what you do. And, okay. and I know as we go along here, you know, I'm going to be asking you some questions about some of the equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we when, during the show on on the Curse of Oak Island, we we seen you, uh, we saw you using the sonar uh, okay. devices. And uh, I think I had actually had written down the name of it. And I forgot, I don't know exactly where it is, but um oh spectrum 90 oh that was a spectrum 90 camera um but anyway um that there's the side scanning there's all these different types of pieces of equipment that i'm sure you work with that yeah. we'll we'll get to as we go along here but um let's take us to oak island now a little bit okay. now how did it come about that you were able to be asked to be on the show how did that come about uh, like I, as I said earlier, I work part time for Konsberg Mesotech, the largest manufacturer in the world of underwater acoustic equipment. Whether it's multi beams, uh, ships, di uh, differential positioning systems, you know, uh, you know, but they make another tool called the MS One Thousand scanning sonar, and I've gotten to be pretty good using it over the years, you know. And my boss at the time there 
in Vancouver, Canada, I got a call from somebody, I forget who it was, and said, hey, we want to go image this hole down here on Oak Island. And uh, Mark at, at the time kind of laughed and said, hey, this is a good job for Brian. I'm sending you out there. So as part of my contract with Consberg, he sent me out there. And one of the really good things out there is that I got a, a really another good partner in crime of a gentleman called Nick Burchill, who lives in Halifax, who works for Consberg. Oh. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nick is one of the best guys you could ever have around. He's really smart, really good at with equipment, but he is a, a load of laughs. Yeah, there he is right there. And he is, if you want stories about anything weird happening uh, and stuff, you should have Nick on your program. I'm going to throw him under the bus and <laughs> you should get Nick, Nick on the program because you'll have a great time. But I, I would love Nick to. Yeah, I called Nick up. I'll, I'll put the word in for him and say, All right, yeah, thank you. Out. I appreciate that. I'd yeah. love to have him on, both and, of you together, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I have a great time with Nick when we go do work together and stuff. And uh, uh, like I said, think the world of him. Uh, but I called Nick up and said, Hey, we're going to Oak Island. It's kind of your territory. Let's, let's go have some fun and see what we can do. I had heard about Oak Island when I was a little kid, not the Reader's Digest version. But in search of with Leonard Nimoy. Oh, I that's love that. I remember. Okay, that's how I remember the island. And I always fascinated because what stuck with me is they had pictures of Franklin Roosevelt on the show that he was in search of whatever was happening on Oak Island and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this thing is still going on and no one knew what was right or wrong. And then um, I also teach part time at a college in Michigan called. Uh, Northwestern uh, College up in Traverse City. Mm -hmm. They teach everything underwater acoustics. It's a phenomenal program. And these kids told me, hey, there's a couple of guys in Traverse City that have bought the island and they're doing uh, they're doing an exploration on the island looking for the gold. And I said, really? And I said, and they, so it kind of connected, it kicked back to that TV show with Leonard Nimoy as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so when I got there and I found out who Marty and uh, Rick were and Craig Tester and so forth. It really kind of blew me away. But they, uh, I came on uh, through Consberg to the island to do this imaging of 10X, as they call it, as I learned later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so um, there's, uh, you know, Dan Hensky in the background, who's a, mm -hmm. a great character, good, good guy. Uh, that was Commander. I don't know whatever happened to him. He was on the show quite a bit. And there's David uh, Blankenship right there. Right. Um, so we were just getting ready. Um, I looked at the project as, as okay, let's take it from an engineering perspective. Mm -hmm. um, what was really cool about this project for me, it wasn't that 10X had any, uh, I don't know, lore or legend to me at all. I built 10X as something that I learned off of to how to map tunnels. And, and how to use that data and information, because now I can go in, I can map tunnels for dams mm -hmm. and, and see what structural defects are and, and stuff. The hard part was going through the 27-inch hole opening um, into the, the cavity of 10X to see what was there. So with Nick helping me out uh, a huge deal and providing a lot of the uh, skilled work that we were able to do, we were able to get in there, map inside the, the shaft. Uh, of the rail cars, as they called, because mm -hmm. uh, uh, Dan Blankenship had taken rail cars, tipped them on the side, cut the ends off, and drove them straight down. 
and uh, which is kind of un unique to begin with. <laughs> it was pretty fascinating. Yeah. But uh, then we were able to image inside the uh, the rail cars. Then through some <laughs> kind of stupid luck, we kind of fished, dropping the sonar around till we hit the 27-inch hole, then went through the 27-inch hole with the umbilical into the shaft. And what we would do is that every foot, we would spin the sonar 360 degrees, and it would take a sonar record. Mm -hmm. and, and so from that, it's like a series of pancakes. And then we're able to put those pancakes together and create the void under the 27-inch shaft and also show imaging uh, within that cavity there. Yeah, there you go, right there. So we're able to uh, take a look and see the size and dimensions. And, you know, we're able to find a couple of tunnels. Um, there are openings that um, were in the, uh, uh, the cavity there. Yeah, well, there's one right there yeah, and so forth and over in that area too. Yep. So I, I can't remember quite what the dimensions were. Uh, I think it was like 15 by eight or something eight like by 12 is what eight, I had eight, eight, 12? Eight okay. feet on the bottom and 12 feet yeah. more, more toward the top. Yeah. Right. And so we found some targets down on there. And one of the things you've got to be careful and I, you know, I, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus and saying this was good or bad or anything, but um, you can't come out and say, Hey, this looks like a body. This looks like a body because you don't know because, you know, there have been times where I have found the wrong body before. I have found the wrong airplane before, you know, and what do you do? And it looks like an airplane, it, but it's not an airplane. You know, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. It's just the way it goes acoustically. And so until you can identify with a human eye, you can do that. And one of the problems I had with 10X was Marty uh, Lagina would come to me and say, look, what, tell me what you think is down there. And I'd say, well, I think this, but I said, the problem is, is, is that I don't know how to get a diver down there. Mm -hmm. I, I even been a commercial diver like me. I'm, I'm a wide load to begin with, and there's no way I'm fitting through a 27 inch hole. <laughs> and, and so, and I, well, he said, well, what, what do you think? And I said, well, Marty, if this was 10 feet of water, I would have a diver down there immediately. And he said, okay. So that's when he figured out and through the TV network connection um, with Prometheus, um, they were able to contact John Chatterton, mm -hmm. uh, who, who became the diver. And I've known John for several years, uh, phenomenal diver, one of the best in the world. But he's he's a, a tall, skinny guy. And, uh, you know, when, when I, I freaked out when I heard that somebody was going down the shaft because I was supposed to be there. And I was like, man, this this is an accident waiting to happen. This is the seventh man and everything. But when I found out it was John Chatterton, I took a deep breath and said, okay, if anybody can do it, John can. Yep. And 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 so um, they were able. He was able to work his way in through that and get himself into the cavity of 10x. And uh, that blew me away. I you know and. But talking with John about it, he said, you know, he dove it a thousand times before he even hit the water. And so he had everything in his right. mind. Yep. And he's done some pretty phenomenal stuff that people don't know about. Everyone knows him from the scuba world or the rebreather world where he's done deep water shipwreck stuff and Andrea Doria stuff and a lot of stuff. He's done some pretty phenomenal stuff in the commercial diving world, too. That is like, wow, that's impressive. And um, and so when. I think some of the misnomers, because we identified things down there that it looked like a box, 
you know, mm -hmm. it looked like a box. We had the outline, what appeared to be a body uh, on there. Uh, you, you know, I, there were several different sonar angles and sonar angles that the material looked like the decomposition of the body. And the way I, I'm going to understand to say this is that as another branch of what I do is I train police departments around the world yep. from FBI all the way down to local law enforcement on how to do body recovery, evidence recovery on crime scenes uh, using sonar and divers. So we use the sonar to take the diver into the body. There you go. You know, it looks like an arm there. It appears to be is inconsistent. You use the waffle words. But when I told Marty Lagina, like, yeah, you need to get a diver down there. And it looks like where the head would be is you got some sort of a box. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's been enhanced by the, um, on the right, there's been enhanced by the, uh, the, the people at Prometheus, their entertainment industry through their, their magic and stuff to bring that out. So people right. can see that. And so they didn't change anything there, the data and stuff. So we were able to get in there and, um, uh, you know, he, uh, John Chatterton got in there and, uh, he walked around. I wasn't there when he did the dive and stuff, oh, wow. um, but he was able to get in, walk around, identify the things. And so people were concerned about stuff that over time that, uh, because we, we went back and rescanned it because people said, well, did John move anything? Did he pick anything up? Well, he picked up what we thought was this box chest, whatever you want to call it. Yep, I was going to ask you about that. It. Yep. Yeah. And he said it was a rock. So it's like, okay, you know, that kind of, you know, that popped a lot of balloons on, <laughs> yeah, on, on mine for sure. Yeah. Yeah. On Oak Island. So Brian, did, yeah. I'm sorry to jump in. Did, uh, no, go ahead. Um, did he bring up that rock? Did no. he bring it up to the surface? No, it's down there. Uh, you know, uh, he, it's very soft sediment, so he was kicking up a lot of, mm. of uh, you know, sediment in the water column, so it made it difficult to see after a while. And so he um, did uh, another exploration. He did identify where that were openings and so forth. I don't remember if he said, I don't think he went back any farther. He spent about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes down there. You got to understand he's, you know, he's 237, 238 feet down and he's 180 feet in the water. So, you know, he's, he's running on air or mixed gas probably to do this job. So he's got a limited time frame where he needs to get out and not have to worry about decompression and all that type of stuff. And uh, so uh, he did his time down in there looking around and trying to find things, identify things. John said he didn't really see anything. It appeared to be a natural thing for him, uh, a cavern-wise maybe, that he kind of, if I remember correctly, that he identified it as. Um, so it was kind of like, okay, that put uh, a lot of monkey wrenches into a lot of plans and people's beliefs and ideas about 10X on Oak Island. Yeah, And uh, it was, you know... It, I felt bad about it um, because it was like I was the one directing them, but mm -hmm. um, to tell them that, yeah, I would put divers down on that. Then it's like, okay, where do we go? What do we do now? And because uh, there's people that are so committed to Oak Island and the legend, the lore, 
and trying to find out answers for Oak Island. And this mm -hmm. was just kind of a gut blow for a couple of people there. And, you know, uh, but Rick and Marty and Craig took it in stride. Um, they're like, okay, that's one closed door. Let's go find another door to open up. And, you know, in my opinion, they've opened up a can of worms that uh, uh, they're trying to figure out because one of the things that makes me laugh about the whole Oak Island thing is that before they, they couldn't really, they, they could do pretty much anything they wanted within reason on the island. And then when they started to find things, uh, they said, well, wait a minute now, you're going to need an archaeologist here. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen the shows from this year and they've got like six archaeologists running around <laughs> on the island and they can't do anything without an archaeologist. Yeah, no, they couldn't yeah. get anybody to pay attention to them <laughs> eight years ago. Right. And so I find that really funny uh, uh, about stuff like that in Oak Island. But uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, it was an interesting experience. 10X, like I said, I did it. I think I scanned the whole three or four times uh, doing the work there uh, for them. And just so we take a, yeah, there's, there's a animation of what we thought we were looking at there with the openings, uh, possible stuff that was kind of, you know, put up there on shelves. We looked at, uh, John looked around up there, didn't see or feel anything. Um, we had the two shafts there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the six inch pipe that they put down. And that's also, yeah, and that's that other one was a 27 inch pipe. And um, I want to explain something. Do you have the one picture? There you go. There's a there's a wireframe of of everything there. Um, there's a picture of a, a band mask diving uh, head headset. It is red. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Can you let pull me, that uh, up? Let me let me pop this over and go find yeah. that. Yes, I do have that. There's a great story to this, and um, I got to know Dan Blankenship fairly well. For whatever reason, he was really nice to me. And we had long talks and conversations, which um, Prometheus always wanted to get on camera, but we were always talking off camera about stuff and just, you know, life and his experiences and what he was doing. And he, he took me to the back room where this was, and it, I looked at it, and I went, oh, my God, you dove in that? And he was like, yeah, no big deal. I just got in. You got to say, he went down over 200 feet down a 27-inch pipe. Was it this? this? Yeah. That, and I've done uh, testing, hel uh, commercial diving helmet testings for Kirby Morgan. Mm -hmm. So I know the people very well that make the yellow helmets that everybody sees in commercial yeah. diving and stuff. Yep. So I, knew, I know the guys really well. And I sent them this picture. I said, guys, how old is this? And they said that's a Kirby Morgan band mass number eight. It was made in the 1960s. Wow. But if you look at that, there's a green hose connecting up to it. Yeah, right and here. That is a garden hose. <laughs> oh, okay. No. So Dan Blankenship was diving 200 oh. feet on a garden hose. Oh, and this, my It gosh. blew my mind. I just started laughing. I said, Dan, you're, you're crazy. And he goes, yeah. But he says it got me down there to look around because Dan actually got into that. And they would do everything down there. They would drop dynamite down down this shaft and stuff. And it actually collapsed on him one time. He he got um, almost trapped. David had to pull him out. Yeah, and, that's uh, something. That somebody asked about that. That was one of the members yeah. asked about that question about the collapse. Um, let's see. I was just trying to find that here real quick, um, so I could bring up their name. Let's see. Um, sorry about that. Um, 
my goodness, I've, I've lost it all of a sudden. But yeah, one of the members did ask about the collapse and and what, um, you know, what was being. Now that was when he went down there, and I do remember that that segment because they were talking about the fact that you know Dave had to hurry up and pull him up out yeah. of there and get him out and save basically saved his life. Yes, but that was due and to the dynamite. Dan's well, main con. I'm sorry. Dan's main concern was that his wife would find out. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he was a hard-ass guy. I mean, he was a World War II uh, veteran of the Battle of the Bulge, and not many things scared him and stuff like that. And, uh, and you, you know, I just sit there and to dive in a wetsuit like that and not be able to uh, figure things out, and it's dark visibility, and you don't do that for a living. You haven't been trained. And a garden hose. I mean, that type of pressure, the thing will collapse on you, and you can't get air. You know, then you, you don't get air, you get you know, narked out of your mind or whatever, you start losing it. And uh, so he did some pretty crazy stuff, mm. but, you know, he was a big time contractor in Miami before he came up to Oak Island. Yeah. And he really built 10X very well. People don't realize that. They laugh because he took rail cars and tipped them on their end and, and rammed them down and, and, and put them in the hole. But what you didn't realize on the outside of that hole he had a good eight inches of concrete with rebar on, around it. So mm -hmm. that hole wasn't going to collapse as they started driving sheet pile around that or driving the rail cars down and, and stuff. So because they drove the 27 inch shaft, is my understanding, straight down to that cavity. Then they started bringing the rail uh, cars in and building it bigger, like seven feet, four inches. And they, they just worked their way down the shaft and so forth. So, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, on a hair string budget, you know, winging oh, a prayer. So. so I remember that Dan found um, cement like material in the 10X. Did you find any of that? Um, no, I did not. I had heard that Dan did find some material. Um, I mean, some of the legends that that go with this stuff is that, um, you know, if you, if you bury a treasure there under, you know, underground like that, and you kill a person, uh, that person's soul protects the treasure. So anybody that goes in there looking for the treasure um, is going to be attacked by this spirit that's still there and, and, and so forth that protects the treasure. So that was kind of one of the, uh, uh, the stories floating around on what 10X is and, and uh, uh, you know, what, what could be down there and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I'm, uh, I know that when you guys first, uh, when you did the first scans <clears throat> back, and I guess this would have been um, season two, episode nine, you did the first scans down there. And I believe that um, you weren't able to get anywhere with it because of the debris that had fallen down uh, into and on top of the 27. Yeah. It went down the big, uh, and I don't know how big those rail cars were, how big around, but we see them on the show. We know they're pretty big around. But then you down to the 27 and then all the stuff that had fallen down in there and basically blocked, blocked the hole. That four was feet of, four feet of debris. That's yes, quite a thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, I'm not going to name names, but somebody was had a, a small uh, deep trekker ROV. Uh, They're like, you know, this big and they got a camera system on them and they had like 400 feet of umbilical for the camera. And stuff had fallen down over time, you know, uh, pieces of pipe, you know, they hadn't done anything in 10X in years. 
And so stuff would uh, branches and leaves and all that type mm -hmm. of stuff would fall in. Well, he got the whole, uh, he got the ROV stuck in mm -hmm. at the bottom of the, the seven and a quarter inch, uh, shaft. Okay. And trying to get it down the 27 inch pipe. Well, he didn't know what to do. So he took the whole spool of the umbilical and threw it into the, um, uh, the 10 X shaft and it's like 400 feet of it. And it just went to the bottom and it was just piled up. So, so it's a rat nest down there. And he thought he could then pull it back up and remove the ROV. Well, it didn't work. It just got stuck. Mm. And so you had 400 feet or 300 feet or whatever it was of umbilical down on the bottom of 10 X. And, and so what they did is my understanding, they hired a commercial diving company to come back in and they went down uh, to the bottom of 10X, just the shaft part, not the 27 inch, and, and pick everything up. They just went down to the bottom. And, you know, that's that's a that's a pretty easy job for a commercial guy to go down and do that work. And you just need a basket to throw stuff in and you can, you know, reach out here and touch the sides and so forth. So you, you know where you're at. And even if you do fall in a 27 inch hole, if you're built like me, you're not going to go very far. You know? <laughs> um, it's... Uh, it's just something that uh, needed to be done. So once they they got everything cleaned out of there, um, everything was good. So yeah. Then I and I had a picture, and it was it was the uh, the Prometheus's uh, um, you know artwork back in the studio showing that oh, yeah. picture, and that kind of shows you the the debris. And they're just showing dirt when there was pipe right. and all kinds of things actually in there um, that had fallen down. But that shows that. And then of course once you. Did you, now this one shows you guys went down? Uh, didn't you go down a, like a riser pipe next to it? Yeah, mm -hmm. there's a six inch riser pipe, kind of at the. If if you set that at the at the twelve o'clock position, the twenty seven inch hole is about the four o'clock position. Okay, mm -hmm. and and so we that was a real tight fit. We kind of we kind of gambled on that because if I can come at something from a different perspective. I'm going to kind of light that up and see if I can get a different angle on that that mm -hmm. may cast a different perspective so I can see, get two perspectives on something to right. see what it may be. So that's the reason we did that. That was a tighter fit. We, we got it stuck a couple of times, but we were able to get it out. So <laughs> yeah, I can imagine getting it stuck and then you're like, oh my gosh, now yeah, what do we do? Here's all this piece of super expensive equipment. Down yeah. There. Oh yeah, that would not be good. I think I have a picture. Um, now you guys sent a the camera, and I think that was the, where I started reading that earlier. The Spectrum ninety HD camera yep. uh, down, and I think that's where this picture was taken of some of the debris, I believe, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, that's that was the bottom of the the seven foot four inch hole where you see rebar and mm -hmm. trash and all that type of stuff uh, that yeah, just accumulated over all those years. Yeah. Yeah all those years it just it started to collect things and and um and it just needed to be cleaned out that's mm -hmm. just what you needed to do so right so then somebody could then make a, yeah. get access to the 27 yeah yeah wow both acoustically and dive wise and stuff so yeah 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 and then i have a also have a picture of that uh you guys were actually you were oh there we go you guys were uh rigging up the camera here we go. This is one that I saw that um, this is the Spectrum camera, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, there it is there. Mm -hmm. Putting that down. Now, that's got to be another very expensive piece of equipment. But what's nice yeah. about it, it was able to give us some actual visuals down there. 
versus the sonar, which right. gave us, you know, a 3D, you had to kind of build a 3D rendering of right. it. This gave us actual pictures of what was down there. Yeah. Now, this was, you were working with your friend, um, uh, you and I've forgotten Nick his name Virgil. already. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's a company out of Toronto. I forget the name of it. Um, but yeah, very nice camera system. Uh, the problem was there was a lot of particulates in the water, so you get a lot of reflection off the particulates. Mm -hmm. So it didn't give you the range, and uh, uh, it was really too bad. Yeah, there you go. You see all this flaking taking place and so forth in there. Um, the, the two red lines or orange lines you see are laser lines. Mm -hmm. they, they give you a measurement distance. I forget what that distance is. So if you're looking at something, you can get a rough idea of the size of that. There you go. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I remember this picture. Everybody was saying, "Gold, there's gold." It looks yeah. like it looks like gold, and everybody was like looking at the camera. They're all getting right down by the screen because they wanted to see the gold. But it turned out it was and it was andrite or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, it's an anhydrite geology anhydrite. there, and uh, so there was flaking off the sides, and um, you know you just kick up a whole bunch of stuff in there. And, you know, you don't know if, if there are real tunnels there, either man-made or nature-made. Um, water's flowing from A to B. So it's going to pick up sediment and carry that away. So it's going to pick up different sediment sizes depending on the uh, uh, the force of the water through those caverns and depending on water table levels and stuff like that. So um, it, it for whatever reason, we had a very difficult time trying to uh, 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 pick up the uh, – uh, the sides of the wall and stuff like this to look at uh, something from a photographic point of view. Mm -hmm. I have a question, Brian. Sure. So in the 1970s, there was a diver named Phil Irwin who got hired to dive down in the 10X. I believe he was the first diver to actually explore. Yes. yes. He reported that he felt a very strong water current flowing mm -hmm. through the 10X. Um, is it still there or did that disappear or get blocked off? You know, that's a very good question. I don't know. I don't remember John Chatterton saying anything about a current, but you know, one of the funny stories about Oak Island is that I was, uh, it was kind of after hours and we were just sitting in the war room and I was talking with Dan Blankenship about stuff and uh, everyone was saying, well, how many holes have been drilled on Oak Island and stuff? And Dan put, uh, jumped in and says, I don't know, but he says, I've dropped the water table 35 feet on this island. And I just started laughing because that amount of water uh, that you're dropping is huge. And and if he really could do that, I mean, he's changed the whole water system on Oak Island and stuff by drilling that many holes and trying to pump stuff in and out and so mm -hmm. forth. So um, it could very easily have changed the direction of groundwater flow because uh, you're, you're not that far from the mainland. And that mainland water is fresh water is going to go into the ocean some way, either on the surface or underground through different rock formations. And uh, and so that anhydrite down there is a kind of a softer material and it's very it's easily erodible. So mm -hmm. it can make its own ways through these things. And that's why, you know, the tunnels could be, you know, natural, you know, uh, like a fracture or fault line or. Um, they could, you know, we could go the other direction and say that they were man-made to, to bring in the treasure on Oak Island, you know, so it's kind of take your pick anywhere in between those two. Did you have a gut feeling about the 10X that maybe was confirmed or? No. No? No. no. I, no gut feeling? I didn't really know much about Oak Island other than the TV show looking for the treasure and stuff. 
And so what happened, I've kind of stayed away from trying to guess who, what, when, why, where, and how. I come in and I do an objective, like, okay, this is what I need to do. And so what happened was um, I never got into the belief because, uh, unfortunately, every known lost treasure in the world has been buried on Oak Island. And, <laughs> and I, I don't mean that as a, a swipe at the people. I, I understand. I think we but, get it, yeah. I mean, the, everything from the the menorah to the Ark of the Covenant to, you know, African Krugerons to whatever. As they told, yeah. And, you know, they've been finding huge amounts. Something happened on Oak Island. After this year, I am 100% believe something happened. You don't have that type of infrastructure or something to come in and build something like a wharf system. To, what are you unloading on a wharf system mm -hmm. like that in the swamp? And, and so I, I, don't, I don't have an idea uh, really on who, what, when, or why. And um, I, it just, I find it fascinating. I find it very strange that people would do this, you know, and Look, if that room that room is eight by twelve or ten by twelve down mm -hmm. there at bottom ten X, and I've read a lot about the Knights Templar, okay, I believe in a lot of their stuff, and you're going to need a lot bigger room to bury the treasure what the Templar Knights had on, than oh, yeah. a ten by eight room, okay. Right. You're going to need about twenty of them to bury the treasure on uh, Oak Island than what what's at the bottom of ten X, you know. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of uh, stuff that's, um, you know, just so so much is unknown yet. Yep. You know, yeah, I think absolutely. you're putting stuff together. It's looking like, you know, you could say 1400 to maybe 1700 in that time frame yep. of somebody came to Oak Island and they did something. Or several somebodies. Yeah. Several over generations or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. And, uh, you know, and it's been fascinating. I mean, I've seen stuff where, you know, the Basque and the Portuguese were up around Newfoundland and, and Red Bay um, doing stuff in the 1300s. You know, they were having fishing camps over the summer and they would take everything back to Spain or Portugal or whatever. And so they obviously knew something was going on in the New World. You know, Columbus officially got the title of it, but people I think yeah. were here uh, long before. I mean, the Vikings yeah. were here in a thousand years, you know, yeah. so... Yeah. It's it's really tough. I've thought about it, but then it's just I go crazy because there's so many lost treasures. You know how many you know Spanish galleons are still missing in the world today mm -hmm. that could be in, unloaded or left on Oak Island, and because Spain controlled the New World for so long, you know. Yep. yep. Now you're talking Alessandra's, uh, you know, stuff yeah. right there. I see her nodding when you were talking about all that because that's that's her research area yeah. right there for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you look at a group of people that had the technology, the know-how, the engineering, uh, and and the gold, uh, right. you got to think of the gold. It'd be the Knights Templars come right up there because you know uh, they were there. They they had it, and you know you can go back to what thirteen oh five with Jacques de Molay, and and everything disappeared. So where did it go? You know, I think some of it. You know, my personal opinion, I, I lived in Scotland for a while because I went to dive school there. But I believe Templar Knight showed up on the battlefield of Bannonockburn for Robert the Bruce. Um, and to me, that's the epitome of a, a tank showing up on the battlefield, a Templar yeah. Knight on a horse. 
And yeah. now you've got a hundred of them or 200 of them and you give them refuge in Scotland because, you know, uh, for whatever reason, they, they fled to Scotland and, and so forth. So uh, they turned it and gave Scotland their freedom at Bannadnapurin. I really believe that. So, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 fascinating to put those links together and stuff like that. So, yep. yeah. I got yeah. another picture here that I, I just have to uh, oh, talk yeah. about real quick is that um, – now we know that, and you had, you know, we we only knew basically of two uh, times where you scanned 10x, mm -hmm. but obviously you just got done saying there was like five times or whatever or more that you scanned yeah, three 10x. Or four times. Yeah. Um, then the first time you did it, you know, you found that there there was one of these, you know, like a post or something down there, mm -hmm. and then the second time you found, you know, it showed up as being two. And I know this was discussed a little bit on the drilling down episode with Matty Blake when he was interviewing you all. You all were sitting on in the room there. There was like eight of you, all the Craig and Mark, Rick and Marty and then Dave and everybody. Um, and so it, it was it is it still that there was two or was one of them one of the pipes that was showing up or something? One was one of the pipes and another was okay. a drill shaft. OK. And had lost down down oh. down the six inch hole. Okay. That that and and actually Chatterton uh, went over and identified it when he okay. was diving down there. He so said, "Yeah, no post like that. Yeah, it was not a wooden post." Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, at least your scanning your your equipment was definitely doing its job, and it, and it for sure picked it up. The other thing that I wanted to talk about on this particular picture here, uh, or scan uh, resolution here, is that you know we talked about the tunnel going through. Mm -hmm. Um, and it looks like, and again, you know, it, 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 is it a perfect thing of what's down there? No, it's not, but it gives you a really good idea, but it, and again, it kind of looks like there is a tunnel running through, you know, Absolutely. on top and bottom. What, what's your take on that? Do you still feel that there was some sort of a tunnel or was it just simply, uh, well, you know, the, the tunnels can be, like I said, everything from, uh, nature creating mm -hmm. water, groundwater rushing through or, right. You know, you they could be possibly man-made. Um, I don't see a lot of uh, things. John didn't really walk down them or crawl down them uh, much, so you, you didn't see anything. One of the things that I found kind of interesting about the whole thing is that at roughly the um, uh, three o'clock position there, um, you you've got a right angle, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. in in nature, yeah, right there. In nature, you don't see right angles. Right. Okay. Right angles, squares, rectangular, circular things are man-made. Nature is usually off a little bit mm -hmm. because it just it just is. And so I I seen that, and that's one of the things that it was kind of like, wow, that could be man-made. So mm -hmm. I looked at everything and kind of said, all right, this is what we got going on. This is kind of a pancake layer at different elevations going down till we hit the bottom. And so when we put them together, it's still kind of stick figured a little bit. But I really believe that whether they're man-made or natural uh, occurring, uh, there are tunnels there. Uh, it, it, the data shows that, you know, right. uh, going back into uh, there's no acoustic return or reflection off this stuff. It just goes down right. and you don't get a return back up. So telling right. me that there's something open yep. there. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, we, and, and that was the thing on the drilling down with, with Matty Blake, um, there was a discussion, you know, he, uh, the question was asked of John Chatterton, 
And, and again, I'm not going to discount John at all because we know he's a, a very, very experienced professional yep. diver. Um, but it, the question was asked of him, uh, actually a couple of questions, and this is what I thought was kind of odd. One of the questions was asked, do you, do you think that those were, um, you know, a tunnel that you could walk in? And he said, in my opinion, no. Okay. Um, and then he said even about crawling in and, and he said in his opinion, no, but then another question was asked, how much of that open area down there do you feel that you actually explored? And his question was like 10% or something yeah. very, very small amount. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, yeah. you know, he's, he's discounting, you know, and again, I, and I was disappointed. <laughs> let, me, let me just say that up front folks that I was disappointed when John came up and said, yeah, there's nothing to see here. And I was like, wait a minute, there's got, you know, and all the things that Dan was pouring out of there, you know, on the table that one time in the meeting, he was just throwing all these things out going, this was found, this was found, this was found bits of chain and all this kind of stuff. But with that said, he didn't, it didn't seem like he had really explored a large percentage of the, the area down there. So is it, 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 in my mind, it means that there's still a possibility that there could have been tunnels um, that he may not have really found them. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it could I, be. You know, I, I remember that now that you brought it up and yeah. stuff like that. And I was kind of like, wow, okay, well, if you've only, uh, you know, explored 10% of it, at least 90% unexplored. And, and maybe, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. You know, we'd have to talk with John about that. Yeah. And, and We've asked him on the show, and he, we, he's been a busy man. We haven't been yeah. able to. <laughs> yeah, he's a busy guy. No doubt about it. Yep. Um, but yeah, he, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I'm not sure how to really answer that I mean, yeah. you know, his perspective and I had mine. So, um, it, it's just something that, uh, I think is kind of left unresolved and yep. so forth. And, uh, you know, the clearly the, uh, going back, we've seen where he did pick up the rock as we have shots before of it being there, then. And then it's gone. And the next time we, we scan the tunnel. So, um, it's, uh, just something I think that, uh, uh, needs, you know, if they were to put more time and effort into Oak Island, um, you know, and 10 X, I think that'd be something we'd need to kind of figure out and how to get back down there and really take a hard look because part of my understanding of 10 X on the bottom down there in the cavity was done also by photographic evidence. I don't go off and just say things like acoustically. And there is, I can't remember this guy's name, but he was a geotechnical engineer at a uh, Canadian university. I don't know if, I forget which university, I think it's in Nova Scotia, but I forget, but he's a geotechnical engineer on the show. He showed me pictures and of the bottom of 10X and there it looked like a box mm -hmm. and there looked like a body uh, seeing it photographically. And I was like, okay, that gives credence to what the sonar seen. Mm -hmm. And 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 then John went down there and in his interpretation of the bottom is that it was a different type of sediment. It was a different type of texture that was down there that gave the appearance of the formation of look like a body. And and then he picked up and moved the rock and that you know, it, it, it fit the dimensions of the top of a chest or box or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and okay, that takes care of that. 
And, uh, and so it was uh, just something that, uh, okay, strike two, you know, um, and you know, you just need one more and you're out. And I think right. since it really wasn't what they were after, they didn't find treasure. He didn't find, uh, you know, uh, tools or implements like an ax or pickaxe or shovel or anything like that down there. Okay. We need to stop spending our money, spending our time on 10 X. We need to move on to something different. Let's go back to the money pit. Let's, let's, regroup and rethink about what we need to do here and try and find some better direction to figure out what, what went on on this Island here. Mm -hmm. So Brian, I have a question for you. You spoke to Dan Blankenship at length mm -hmm. after these findings, um, your findings through sonar. And then um, when the divers went down there and poked around, did Dan Blankenship revise his own theory about the 10 X? No, Dan, you got to say, Dan was very secretive of stuff on the island, as all treasure hunters are. That's just the way they are. He's not going to show you his cards at all. I think mm -hmm. he was disappointed. I think he probably disagreed with mm -hmm. with uh, John Chatterton. Um, but, you know, he didn't uh, raise a ruckus as far as I know. Uh, he, he really believed in 10X as it was going to take him. You know, he spent 30 years trying to get to the bottom. Yeah. Other stuff. So what he's got to believe in it. And the same with Dan Hensky too, uh, that worked for Dan on the Island there and stuff. So I think there was a lot of, uh, you know, heartache that, well, you know, I, what I seen, what I did, what I looked at down there at the bottom 10 X, this is what I saw. And, you know, you, you can't, you can't deny that of what a person sees and so forth. So I think he was really kind of disappointed in it, but it, it took um, Oak Island into a whole different direction, I think, mm -hmm. that I don't think would have been uh, found, uh, you know, this wharf system, this road system, um, the swamp, um, you know, Nolan's Cross, all this type of different theories that come out about Oak Island and stuff throughout the years that have evolved on the TV show. So, so the first divers went into the 10X in the 1970s. So we're talking... 50 years ago is yeah. it possible that some if there were objects um, or bodies at the bottom of 10x in the 1970s that they have since fallen apart deteriorated because of all the exploration or exposure to oxygen that kind of stuff yeah it's it's really um you'd have to do a study geochemistry of the water to find mm -hmm. out how much oxygen's there to begin with and what type of animal life is down there from bacteria to little critters um, because they're going to start the deterioration of a body over time. Um, you know, we have Lake Superior that, you know, the old saying is that she never gives up her debt. And mm -hmm. you can still go on shipwrecks in Lake Superior and see bodies from 100 years ago mm -hmm. and, and stuff. So it's there's general tendencies like if but if you're in the ocean and the Caribbean and a body gets put in the ocean, it's probably gone in two days because of the animal life, the temperature, the right. bacteria. It just, the body just gets eaten up and decayed real fast. So you've got to understand that. But on the other hand, if let's just hypothetically say somebody in, you know, Jacques de Molay sent a, a whole fleet over to Nova Scotia and they used Oak Island. So you're, you're, you're talking the early 1300s. So you're talking, you know, almost 700 years a body would have been down there. So what would have been left of that body over time, you mm -hmm. know? 
Mm-hmm. Maybe there's bones buried in the sediment down there. Who knows? Or maybe that uh, is, isn't a body and stuff. So you, you've got to take a lot of different uh, angles on, on perspective about what type of environment is the body going to be in? What type of environment are the tools going to be left in? And, you know, over time and, and, and so forth, what happens to that body? So there's a lot of unique things can happen with bodies over time, especially in cold uh, environments uh, and so forth. So, Well, they found bone fragments elsewhere on the island. Yeah. yeah. Great depth. So th- there is somebody under oh, the yeah. island. Somebody made it down there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean. I'm not saying that, it's Templar night, but. Yeah. Well. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I don't remember what they were dating those bones at carbon 14 dating, but um, you're absolutely right. How did bone get down in the bottom of those shafts? And they're like 130 feet down and stuff like that. So uh, somebody was down there and somebody came to an unfortunate end, you know, and I don't know if that's part of the original, you know, seven people or six people that have passed away on the Island, or is that somebody that we don't know anything about? And uh, and they're trying to figure things out uh, uh, from a different perspective, coming at the the tunnel from a different angle, or or somebody was working down there and they had a collapse and they had to go around a different way and they just left that person there. Yep. So um, yeah, there's <laughs> like Oak Island, you can throw the dart at the board and no one's going to say that's a bad throw. Yeah, exactly. Things on Oak Island, you know. Yeah. There was two, so, two. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alessander. Um, you know, well, I just wanted to know if anything strange happened to you on Oak Island. Oh yeah, there's. It's a weird place. Um, you know, especially with the TV crew guys uh, and the film guys, they'll put bad brand new batteries in the morning at say seven o'clock. By seven thirty, they're dead, and these batteries mm-hmm. are supposed to last eight or nine hours. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's. I love Oak Island. It's a beautiful place. I love coming out in the summertime with the pines and uh, the trees and everything. It's just a really quiet, beautiful place. But at nighttime, there's a lot of heebie-jeebie stuff. I mean, I've walked <laughs> along the roads and stuff like this, and it's like, ah, this is kind of strange out here. So yeah. there's a lot of, uh, I, like I said, I've never seen ghosts. I've never seen anything like that on Oak Island. But there's a lot of weird stuff that just happens, like little stuff. Batteries die. Stuff doesn't work. Uh, and it had been working fine when it came on the island. You know, equipment, welders, all that type of stuff. There's just a lot of strange things like that what happen on the island that, you know, uh, car batteries can die and all this type of stuff. So it's really strange uh, with everything there. So. Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's something that, you know, and again, going to that paranormal side, we know that they've had uh some uh investigators i think uh kano was out there Kano, kano i believe is his name is pronounced he was out there with maddie blake and did an investigation so and that's something i would love to do because i'm kind of into that paranormal uh okay. realm myself so i mean that's uh i i would love to do that out on the uh, yeah pam said a spooky sounds coming from through the trees yeah i'll bet so um <laughs> Now those two bones, and I'm sure somebody will come up and, and tell us here, but yeah, they were two different people of the bones that fragments that were found. And I think that was mm-hmm. H. One was from Middle East. 
Yes, Middle East and uh, European, I think. It's uh, mm -hmm. something like one was Middle East, one was European. And somebody can give uh, – Brian Kano, yeah. Um, somebody can give us a dating on that. I'm sure one of that – I tell you what, we have the, the best group of people in our Facebook group. Oh, you know, we're at 9,000 people now. Uh, members and uh, i tell you what they know all i have to do on a show is just throw out the question and we got 10 15 people telling me the yeah. answer you know so that's what i love about them um one of the things that uh, uh questions that some of the people had here before we get off the subject of 10x um which we could talk about all night quite honestly uh barbara d asked a question there's always talk of draining uh the 10x and getting mm -hmm. in there but in a professional opinion which is more hazardous diving into an area like that or splunking into a newly drained cavern where the walls may not be stable without water support. What's your opinion on that? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. How to, how to figure something out. I think the best thing to do to figure something out is do it in a dry. Mm. And that means driving sheet pile. Oh, and yeah. there's also a new technology called ground freezing. Well, they'll actually freeze yep. the ground and pull out plugs of it and everything around it is frozen. So you can get down and do that. Uh, yeah, I would be very nervous of, of drilling the shaft and having somebody jump in it. And, and kind of, cause I remember when I, they drilled the shaft over at near the money pit area and I put the sonar down and you could just see the walls just kind of slowly oh, yeah. come in on the sonar. And when I pulled the sonar out, it was covered in mud and everything. So it was slowly collapsing around there and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's better, you know, maybe if you did it where it's somewhat of a stable channel regime where you d the water pressure doesn't change a lot and so forth, and mm -hmm. it's going to be stable there. Yeah, you could probably dive it, but I recommend anytime you do something like that, you know, you build a caisson as, as they do it for bridges or dams or right. whatever, uh, oil rigs and so forth that... Uh, you, you pump the water out of it and you have a dry working environment inside. Exactly. I like what you did on, on, um, on the cove down there at, uh, yes. at, at the bottom of 10 X yep. down there in the water. So oh, what we'd like to see them do in the, uh, in the swamp. Uh, yeah. and unfortunately I don't think they're going to be able to this year, but I, there's two areas in the swamp. I would like to see one would be where they found the wood anomaly on the South. Uh, it was the Southeast or Southwest side or south, maybe it was straight down in the south in the middle there. They found that wood anomaly right at the end of last season um, that they were talking about putting a coffer dam around and digging that out, um, but also the eye of the swamp. I'm a big proponent yeah. of that eye means more. There's more to that eye of the swamp than than meets the eye. Yeah. <laughs> that was terrible. You know, yeah. one of the things I find fascinating about the island that there is never a number of theories that, that the guys don't listen to. Mm -hmm. um like rick is what you see on tv is pretty much what rick is like he is uh, just a wonderful human being okay just a great guy and uh and and they will listen to anybody that has a theory and it it may be you know green men from mars coming in and drilling holes or whatever and it may be somebody talking about templar knights mm -hmm. and and i find it truly amazing the in-depth theories that people will give them. I mean, we're talking hundreds of pages of research. Mm -hmm. And I, I I don't even know, my mind doesn't think that way, that to sit down and to come up with a picture uh, from the Middle Ages and to draw these connotations of stars and constellations 
and translate that to the stars in the sky yep. and put that over Oak Island and you come down. I'm, I'm, I'm just pulling stuff, uh, crazy stuff right now, but that makes Nolan's Cross come up. And, yep. and all these correlations that come in that people have and these boundary lines and intersections from Scotland to the Middle East to, uh, to Oak Island and stuff. I mean, I don't even know how to begin with something like this. And I find that truly amazing. The, the people that come up with these theories and ideas and, and, and Rick and those guys, they'll listen to them all. You know, some of them are crackpots, but other ones you go, wow, that's really yeah. impressive. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah. And, and we've had many of those people on the show, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'd talk about their, their theories. I tell you, there, yeah. there is some really good ones out there and you're right. You have to, um, and, and I think Rick and Marty have actually talked about that. You have to at least listen to it and think about whether or not it's viable. And again, there's some that are just going to be completely, you know, like aliens did not deposit yeah. anything on Oak Island. But, you know, but there's also a point where you have to look at it. But as, as Rick always says, it's a theory is just a theory until you can hold it in your hands, you know. So, yeah. you know, there's that too. Um, before we get off 10x, a couple we were about an hour and 15 in, and I, I want to get on to uh, Beyond Oak Island a little bit as well. But um, Kate brought up a good point here too. She was wondering about the fact of whether or not there would ever be a uh, like to see a, a, an underwater drone or something um, to, to get some great camera work um, if that would help. Is that you know again we know that Marty was like okay you know, X on 10 X we're done. We're moving on. We're not going to go there. And Rick was like, I'm not done with it. So we know there was a little conflict between the two, yeah. you know, is that, do you, what, what's your thought about 10 X? Are we done with it? Are they done with it? I think they're done with it. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen anything to go back. Um, here, here's, here's my take on the whole thing. They, they have found everything from buildings to wharf to structures, to rock formations, everything on that. But no one has found, a piece of treasure that says, oh, this is a Spanish doubloon. This is a piece of eight. This is a Templar piece of gold. Mm -hmm. Okay. No one's found anything there. And in, in 10X, I think it's fascinating. It's interesting to really look at and try and understand. But I think spending any more resources and time, it's not going to get you where you need to go because they're about finding the treasure. Right. They're also about Rick's about telling the story about everything yep. and moving that whole process forward. But then again, I haven't seen anything where, so, and as far as I know, and that they found a piece of treasure, you know, uh, a silver cup or gold cup or, you know, something that uh, a crucifix of solid gold or whatever it may be mm -hmm. that would say, okay, this is indication of, you know, the Spanish treasure fleet came up here in 1588 and so forth and took refuge and buried their treasure. So right. I don't know, uh, but I would say that 10 X is pretty much done. Yep. And, uh, and I would be surprised if they ever went back to it. Right. And as Linda mentioned here, um, even if there were um, um, tunnels there in 10 X at this point, we know John's been down there. You've had your scanning down there. You've had uh, the cameras down there there's no treasure down there right. in 10 X. So at this point, like Linda says, yep. why continue looking into it? I was curious, you know, about the fact that, and I was talking about this in the pre-show just a little bit um, about the fact that there, you know, when you had said that there was tunnels and I'm going to bring this picture up and then we're going to get off the subject altogether <laughs> for a yeah. little bit. 
But um, this picture here uh, showing this tunnel. Now, when I was looking at this earlier, um, you know, with west being here, east being here. So this would be north. Whoops, sorry. I was on the wrong screen there. East being here and west being here. So north would have to be yeah. down here, south up here. If there was a tunnel coming out of the south, southeast side or south side, that would be heading towards the money pit from mm -hmm. where 10X sits. Yeah. So that could have been some sort of a, a way through there, um, but without any evidence of there being really, other than the fact that there was a, a right angle that you saw right here, Yeah. other than the fact that there was a right angle found, there's really no strong evidence to say that there's any left behind evidence of man-made work in there. You know, we thought right. there was the post. We thought there was the body. We thought there was the box um, in the shelf with things on them. It just didn't pan out. Um, so you're right. Yeah. Time to, time to move on from 10 X and, uh, and head for something else. But I did notice that with the, and I like that the fact that it had the, uh, navigation here with the east, northeast, yep. southwest, and then looking at the fact that if there were a tunnel heading off this way, it was probably heading towards uh, the money pit. And then on the north side, um, you know, it was obviously heading somewhere. Um, we don't know where at this point. Yep. So interesting. Um, so and now we we know that uh, you were also involved in uh, in the Beyond Oak Island, um, and you were working with Marty. Uh, going out to Lake Michigan yep. um, and looking at off of Poverty Island. Um, and again, this is a time where they came and they gathered you up to come out and do some scanning of that area um, with that same, I think it was the same unit you were using right. here. Yep. Okay. Um, so Poverty Island, tell us a little bit about, again, about, you know, kind of give us a little brief about what they were looking for and possibly from whom, if that's something that you're familiar with. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Michigan has a, what people don't know, Michigan has a great history of pirates. Mm -hmm. Especially yes. in that area. People don't realize, I mean, there was rape, pillage, and plunder back in the early 1800s. The, uh, there were people that would knock lighthouses out and set fire on ships. And so other ships would run aground and they would go out, steal the cargo, kill people, mm -hmm. uh, everything. And my understanding is that it's there's different angles that's coming at that. Some I've heard it was payroll in silver or payroll in gold for uh, lumber camps. It was a ship being brought up to pay people. And that ship sunk uh, with three boxes of gold on it. Okay. There in the 1930s and so forth. Um, <laughs> That's another great era that you might want to investigate sometime about the the gangs of Chicago and Detroit, the Purple Gangs running whiskey and liquor out through all the Great Lakes. It's a fascinating story. Yep. But those guys would hire diving companies to come out and do salvage operations to recover whiskey sh uh, sh uh, ships that had sunk and so forth. So my understanding is that the there was a ship called the Lorne Castle. All right that went out and was working around the Poverty Island area. And on Poverty Island, there is a lighthouse that used to be in operation, and there was a family on board. And these guys actually found the ship, salvaged the treasure and stuff. There you go, right there. And, and so forth. 
and a storm came in and these guys, their ship had a really difficult time because what happens in this area, it's very shallow all the way across to Wisconsin or, or Escanaba area. And you'll have a storm come in from the West and it'll actually push out the water uh, five or six feet into Lake Michigan. Uh, from this area. So they're called satius. They'll, they'll push the whole Great Lakes one direction. They're the difference of pressure. And and so then they'll come rushing back in. And these ships get caught in these whirlpools around Poverty Island, Summer Island, Washington Island and stuff. So this ship, in order to get everything off board and get rid of stuff, they threw everything together. And the story goes that they took three chains and, and our three, the three boxes and put a chain link on each one and threw them over the side and hoping that they could come back because there was a boy on the lighthouse that could hear people talking about they found the treasure, they found the treasure, and they, whether they were a mile or half mile, I've been on Poverty Island a lot working in that area over the years. And so you had this whole thing where you can hear people talk from a half mile away mm-hmm. out on the water. It's so calm out there at times. And so they threw it over and they never came back to get it as the story goes. Right. So that's, that's what I know about it and stuff. So, um, you know, there's, there's people that believe that, uh, you know, that's where the first sailing ship of the great lakes disappeared, the Griffin. And that, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they're doing that. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was an article that they showed and I'll, I'll bring that up here real quick. Yeah. Um, Inside the consuming obsession with finding the 300-year-old griffin. Um, yep. so that's, a, that's an interesting story in itself right there. And, and as you said, the Great Lakes is well known for having a lot of shipwrecks. A oh, lot yeah. Of them. Huge. Yeah. And I remember going to a uh, living up there. And uh, and I didn't know that about the, 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 the where you were talking about the water moving like yeah. that. I did not know that. Um, but I remember going to a restaurant one time and sitting down and they had, <laughs> this is a silly story, but they had placemats. As you sat down, you had the little paper placemats right there. Each one of those had uh, a list of most of the known shipwrecks around the Great Lakes, at least the more famous ones. Mm-hmm. And it was covered. It was covered with shipwrecks all around the Great Lakes. It was yeah. phenomenal. I never had realized that there were so many. There's... Um, they estimate anywhere between, I've heard anywhere between six and 14,000 shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. That's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. You know, because it is pretty treacherous waters. Yes. So there you go. Back off of uh, the Garden yeah. Peninsula, you yeah. know, sticking out there from and Escanaba being up in this range, uh, and then Poverty Island. So it's not a very big island, but no. it is kind of situated in a spot yeah. where, um, you know, if you were, you're going to be passing by through there quite a bit and, uh, you would see ships coming in now. If that and again, we saw from the the, the show that the and I don't know if I can bring that one picture back up here. Let's see. There's you can see and we saw it on the show. There's some folks that you had with you. Uh, yeah. These rocks that go out and yeah. you know even right here you can see like rocks showing up not that far off the shore. Yeah. Um, so not very deep of water for sure. No. And a ship's going to get tangled up in that and sunk very quickly. Yeah. Now, tell us a little bit about now these two gentlemen you had with you. There's uh, uh, Luke Claiborne. I guess he was, uh, I don't know if you actually knew him or got to know him. No, I never met Luke uh, at all. Um, And this gentleman uh, here. Yeah, uh, Robert was a fascinating person. 
Um, I found his job. He worked for Ford as a historian and photographer and stuff. And he would do history on Ford uh, plants. I found him a really interesting person and uh, knew a lot about Poverty Island and stuff, about the history. And he'd spent time on Poverty Island and stuff. So he he brought a lot to the table on stuff. He was uh, mm -hmm. uh, a really nice person, too. I really enjoyed talking with him and meeting him and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a good time with him. So, and we know this is your uh, piece of yep. equipment that you had set up there. Yep. And you had taken that and then been able to mount it into this. And I think this is fascinating that you were able to do this. Is this something that just comes with it or did you, you know, it kind of looks like something that was made. Um, yeah, it's, it was made. So yep. that's really neat. I like that. And you're, and then what's nice about this is you're able to lower it down and set it right on the ground or, you know, at the bottom of the lake and then be able to start conducting your, your scanning of that. Um, so, you know, during that, the scanning that you took, uh, you, I, and, and again, we saw, I think they showed us two places where you put it down and I'm sure there was probably more than that. Was there not? Yeah. yeah there's a few more. So, so I mean, I, you probably spent more like the most of the day out there I would think. Yeah. We spent a lot of the day out there looking for stuff and, uh, uh, probably did, I don't know, 10, 15 drops out there, mm -hmm. uh, looking at things, uh, you know, it's a very hard rocky bottom a lot of boulders a lot of cobble fields a lot of broken rock it's a huge limestone formation out there so yeah you you yeah i'm giving out That's basically the, how it works yeah yeah uh, pretty much you know uh and stuff it's a very benign bottom there's not a lot down there and stuff um there are a few other shipwrecks around the islands there that are really pretty phenomenal pretty fascinating to go look at and stuff like that so um yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, 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 place. I love it because there's no phone service, there's no internet, there's nothing up there. Okay, so it's one of the few places in the American or maybe North America that you can go and get away and see what it was like to be 1975 all over again. And and uh, nobody knows where you're at, nobody knows what's going on because nobody knows where they can't get a hold of you. I, and I love it up there. Yeah. So it's done out of a little, we work out of a little fishing camp called Fairport. Um, it's uh, 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 in, the Indians that run a commercial fishing operations out of there. Then there's a lot of uh, 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 recreational fishermen come out of there too. So it's it's a really neat, quiet area. I really love it up there. This is a, uh, a shot that was taken uh, when you did find at one point, you, uh, and I think it was this particular uh, anomaly that came up right here. Um, and also there was something over here. I don't know if that was a shadow that was being casted, uh, cast. Um, Probably it was a shadow. It looks like a shadow that too. It's casting yep. a shadow. So, I mean, the, you know, obviously you found several things down there, but you had mentioned, and this is where I wanted to get into some of the other equipment real quick. Um, you had mentioned, and, and he, I think even Rick said, you know, it mentioned, well, we probably should have come out with some side scanning or something like that rather than this one do those first, find some points, then come out and drop this. Right. Is that kind of... Yes, that's an excellent point. This piece of equipment, it's it's made by Consberg Misatech. It's called the MS-1000 Scanning Sonar. It's the model, model number 1171. And so this is a precision type tool. It's designed for small areas, but high detail. And it's, it, it's, its weakness is it's got to be stable. If it's shaking and moving, you won't be able to get a really good sonar image. So if it's stable, 
you can you can do pretty cool, phenomenal things with it, especially when you're working on structures, bridges or dams and so forth. But it takes forever to do things with this and to pick it up and move it to another location, you have to have extremely accurate GPS. So way they worked in the world, there's several different types of instruments now. They, the old one, kind of the, uh, that uh, everybody knows about and heard about because it's been around for 50 years is side scan. And that's a towed fish that you put in the water and you pull pull it on an umbilical cable or a power cord and it takes an image on both sides and you get to see the bottom. So you've got to come out and mow the grass. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with side scan is that if you say you're working in 100 feet of water, you need about 400 feet of cable to really be able to, oh. to get that down to the depth you need at. So if you're working, say you're working in 10,000 feet of water, you need 40,000 feet of cable. And think about that. So logistically, it's huge to, to come up with that type of cable. So you need different ways to get a side scan down there. So a lot of people are using autonomous vehicles now that can go down to, you know, 3,000 meters, 6,000 meters, and they have side scan built on it, and they'll just come back and mow the grass. Mm -hmm. Then when they're done after 24, 48 hours, they'll come back up to the surface, and you'll go out, pick them up, download the data, recharge the batteries, or put new batteries in and send it back down again. Another type of example, uh, it's called multi-beam, and it's just really what it says. It's multiple yeah. beams shooting out into the water column coming down, hitting the bottom and reflecting back up. And, and that can cover a pretty wide swath depending on your depth and so forth. So you can have, you know, two, 300 foot swath areas where you go over and you come back and you, you mow the grass again, but you can cover large areas, you know, that would take weeks to do with the scanning sonar may take a day to do with the multi-beam. Wow. So it's, it's, I, I think I mentioned something on the show that it was the wrong instrument for the job. Um, it's still, a, it's the right, it can be the right tool, but you need the right tool. You, you know, if you have a Phillips screwdriver, you can't put it into a flat screw, you know, so you need the right tool for the job. And that's part of what, uh, you need to figure out and how to understand what's going on right. in the environment and, and so forth. So any plans of going back and doing some of that? I'd like to, I think there's a whole bunch of stuff up there that, uh, needs to be looked at. I'd love to, I'm going to try and get a multi-beam system up there and just go kind of all over the area, especially between Pavi Island and the Wisconsin side. Oh, around okay, those yeah. islands, go out like three, four miles out and just kind of just mow the grass and throw a grill on the ship and, and some <laughs> coolers and spend the, the nights out there too, if it's calm. So yeah, that sounds great. I mean, yeah. I, I would be on board for that. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to show this picture again real quick. So that'd be like over in this yeah. area. Yeah, over in those areas there. Yeah. Stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it's a nice area. So. Well, you're based out of Michigan, so it's not that far for you to be able to load up and head over there. It's for about sure. six hours because you got to go up and over. Yeah. So, um, but well, you're coming you know, in from the UP side. Yeah, c coming in. Um, uh, you know, it's about three and a half hours to the bridge, and it's about mm -hmm. two and a half hours over there to Fairport. So. But it's it's an awesome ride. I love it going across Lake Michigan and and so forth. So, so that that I, have, I guess 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alessandra. Oh please. no, you finish, and then I will ask a question. Okay. All right. Well, I was okay. just I was just gonna you know talk about that. It was just simply fascinating for me to to hear about all of this, but then kind of you know when it's when the show wrapped up, talking about the fact that well you know we really need to come back with some side scanning or multi beam and take another look at this, and that left us all kind of hanging out there with okay is that gonna happen and that's why i asked that question you know so apparently and i know that with ndas and all that you can't talk about if you were set up to talk to do that again with with uh with marty but i tell you what we'd be i would be personally fascinated uh if you were to do something like that and go back and have another look um certainly tell us about it. if it's not part of a show I would still like to know about it. If you, uh, you and I stay in contact, if you yeah. do ever get an opportunity, I would love to talk with you about that. At yeah, some point. absolutely. But I have not heard boo on anything. I have no paperwork that says, keep my mouth shut. Can't talk okay. about <laughs> it. Uh, you know, I think part of that beyond Oak Island was created because of COVID because people couldn't uh. get into Canada. They couldn't do work up there. So the season was short. Yep. And stuff and they needed opportunities and you know it's really a shame because there's so much legend and lore in the great lakes um that people haven't looked at and uh from shipwrecks to you know i found stone alignments in on east or west bay and traverse city with circles and squares and rectangles that are three thousand feet long that have carvings on them that if they were done in the dry, they had to have been dry, dry, you know, done seven, eight thousand years ago, which is older than Stonehenge. And um, you know, there's and I've worked with the University of Michigan a little bit with uh, Professor John O'Shea. Uh, he's found the same type of alignments out in Lake Huron. If you go, if you leave the eastern shore of Michigan on Lake Huron side and travel east to Canada. It, it, it's a slow, gradual slope out there to about really? from zero to about 300 feet. Wow. Then within a half a mile, quarter mile, it jumps from 300 feet to 100 feet. So, so you've got that. this Amberley Ridge out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, seven, 8,000 years ago, that was dry land. And he has found, he just had a, here, here's something that it's really, this blew me away. They've been working out there for about seven, eight years now, and they've actually found hunting camps out there and they found chert flakes and, and so forth where guys are making arrows and all that type of stuff. Oh my goodness. And they actually did a chemical analysis with three different labs to prove, and this is a professionally published white paper and everything, that the, that the chert or the obsidian, I should say, came from central Oregon. I mean, think about that for a minute. Okay, that oh. that stone came from a, a, a mine in Central Oregon all the way to the Great Lakes region. Wow. Okay, same thing with probably the copper, you know, on Isle Royal. You know, they are the native populations were up there mining thousands of years ago. That copper traveled all through the U.S. But you know, this is seven, eight thousand years ago, and you've got you know human populations that are hunting out there, caribou, whatever it may be out there on on this Amberley Ridge. And uh, I, I find that, that's what I find truly fascinating too. I mean, he's got all the scientific data and it, it's fascinating to uh, uh, work with these guys and, uh, you know, uh, get a couple of papers with my name on him. He's been generous enough to uh, allow me to uh, be a, a kind of like co-author. <laughs>
Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. I would love to get more information about that. Go ahead, yeah. Alessandra. I know you had some questions too. Yes, um, Brian, I, um, a few years ago, I read an article about a Stonehenge-like structure on the bottom of Lake Michigan. Yeah, that was and me. There's a, a, a mastodon. Yep. Or like a yeah, mastodon or or a mammoth. I don't quite know the difference. Okay. <laughs> Carved into one of the standing stones. So what mm -hmm. was that? Yep, something? that was us. Yeah, I worked with was a professor you? called Mark Holly out of okay. uh uh Northwest Michigan College. Uh we were out uh, you know, we were out looking at uh, looking for a shipwreck called the Tramp. And we just put down the sonar and I'm sitting there looking at the sonar. And you, you know how I have the different circles on the different mm -hmm. distances. Well, all these stones started to line up on the circles and wow. stuff. And, uh, you know, so you, it's been all over the, you know, this is like 2007 and no one's done anything with it since. But yeah, and uh, another guy, Chris Doyle and Mark Holly uh, dove on one of the, we found a, a rock formation that's a circle. Wow. And, mm -hmm. and on one of the rocks down there, they found a carving of a mastodon, and right. and the thing is, it's not like a scratch. Like it's actually percussion hits where somebody took, uh, you know, rock on rock and and, and, and hit it out these. around. Right. And, yeah. and and so um, there could be more down there. We just it hasn't been investigated. It hasn't done. It needs a thorough investigation by some really good archaeologists that can work on this, and it'd be a great master's project for somebody. Wow. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, but uh, we we found that back in 2007, I believe. Wow. Um, yeah, and I've got, if you want to see pictures of it, I got all the pictures and stuff. I'd love to. Pictures. I'd love to, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, you'll have to share those with us. Man, that that is really fascinating because, and I, I was just thinking while you were talking about that, because we're, you know, we've become friends uh, over the uh, this, the last several months with Sean Williamson over the UK. He's working with uh, Team Templar North America, and uh, he's a stonemason. He's a master sculptor and a stonemason. So that, that I mean, I'd love to, I mean, I wonder if he dives. I wonder if he... Uh, <laughs> I would love to have somebody like that. I'd send him the pictures just to have him take a look because we got blown up pictures. But the, the, the final straw for me on this whole thing, and a lot of people thought we made it up. We did it. You know, this rock is big. It's like a coffee table size. It's probably weighs four oh, or five tons. Wow. And it's probably two and a half, three feet high. And and the final straw for me in this whole thing, you've got the outline of the mastodon on it and stuff. But there's a, a straight line that goes across. It's And then you've got a hump that goes over this straight line. And it doesn't mean anything to me, but the local native population, the, um, we because they have ownership of this uh, alignment and so forth through the federal government said that they owned it because of a certain uh, time period and so forth. But they said, do you know what that line and that hump are? And we said, no, nah, we don't have a clue. I didn't. It didn't mean anything to me. Right. Said, in our ancient traditions, that's how we draw a spear. And it goes right into the side um. of the mastodon. And it's like, okay, that tells me right there that we have something. Yep. And like, I'm an engineer. Okay. I'm a sonar expert. I don't, you know, I love archaeology. I'm fascinated by it, but I'm not an archaeologist that deals in rock carvings. Okay. Somebody needs, you know, that's into rock carvings needs to go down and do a really good analysis of this to find out 
well, no, Brian, you were drinking too much. And that was really <laughs> done by, you know, sand, beach sand carvings and stuff like this from, you know, 5,000 years ago. And, and so, you know, it needs to be looked at from a really good scientific archaeological point of view, because I, I do believe it's something because I've got squares and rectangles. I've got a dimension of like 26 and a half feet all over the place, like measuring stone to stone and so forth is 26 and a half feet. Wow. And and all around it is dead flat. There's it's just sand on bottom except for these stone alignments. And working with the University of Michigan, what I've learned is that and you can go to the Arctic now, and um, the native tribes up in you know Alaska or the you know Yukon or the territory I forget what the province is called now in Canada. They still do the same type of hunting. Caribou will follow a straight line. And, and so these are straight lines. So what they would do is hide in these little encampments and they would chase the caribou along the straight line and they would jump out and, and uh, attack them and, and kill them for, you know, food, survival, whatever it was. You know, but it's interesting that you have a mastodon drawing on the rock, too. It is very. And what I find, I don't want to get in trouble about this one. I find it very art form of European cave art. Okay. I, cause when I look at art, except for like the Pacific Northwest tribes where they have this beautiful, uh, you know, symbolism with all these different types of uh, drawings and carvings. I just, I, I absolutely love that stuff. But if you compare it to other uh, North American rock art that I've seen, it's very stick figure. This shows fluidity and it shows an understanding of the movement and size and shape of the animal. Uh, this person that did this, you know, 8,000 years ago or whatever it is. So uh, I, I find that truly fascinating mm -hmm. on it and stuff. So, yeah, but that's, uh, you know, that's what, that's what I love about you go looking for a shipwreck and you find something like this that. Uh, it's, that's fascinating. Yeah. So. So I was wondering, you know, I, I was thinking to myself when you were talking about, especially when you were talking about going up and doing the side scanning up in uh, on the on the on the west side of Poverty Island and, and towards the Wisconsin side. Uh, and also this anomaly over here, I, I, I'm, I'm super intrigued by this. And then talking about the fact that Sean Williamson, um, you know, is a like I said, a master sculptor. I bet he'd be very, we're going to we're going to get the we're going to hook you up. We're yeah. going to hook you up with Sean. Good. Sean is, is fascinating. I've had him on the show a couple of times. Um, and he is, he's over in the UK and he's fascinating when it comes to this stuff. He knows his business when it comes, he's worked with the Sinclair family. He did a sculpture of Henry. Was it, was it Henry Sinclair? Sinclair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is really good. So I'd love to get you uh, hooked up with him and share those pictures. I think he would find them fascinating, but on the other token, I know, and I know Wayne Murphy was uh, on here. I don't know if he still is, but I was thinking to myself, if you're out there looking and there's there's talk of the Templars being able to use and somebody had mentioned it in the chat using Oak Island as a like a rest stop uh, mm -hmm. and making their way down through the St. Lawrence Seaway coming up through the Great Lakes and making their way over to Wisconsin. OK, if they did do that. Would there. Oh, Wayne's Internet crashed. OK, thank you, Linda. Um, if they did do that, then they would have there there would possibly be maybe a shipwreck or some mm -hmm. sort of 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 shipwreck over that way 
that might be discovered by the side scanner multi-beam looking i tell you what i mean i know there's so many shipwrecks and and lord i know well uh, yeah. I'll, I'll i'll go one up on you go ahead I, uh, uh, I had done work in sweden on with the swedish maritime museum on a mm -hmm. transitional ship it's uh around the 1400s and it was a difference between the viking longship and the swedish naval power of the 1600s and it was called the Dolorel shipwreck but I, I found it but i i got to meet like 10 fantastic archaeologists from uh the swedish maritime center and one of my delusions of grandeur as i call it is that before i die i want to find a viking ship in the great lakes because i was going to ask you that if yeah, you ever found I, a viking ship <laughs> i have no proof whatsoever on anything but I think if anybody could make it to the Great Lakes, it was the Vikings. Now, they may have came up through Hudson Bay, down the Red River into Minnesota, and come across through that way into Lake Superior. But if they did, I think, you know, I'm going to try and find it. And so and so the guys in Sweden say, well, before you even do, you better call us because we're coming over with you and looking for this. Because they, you know, the Swedish Vikings made it all the way down you know, the Volga River through Russia and everything into the, into the, you know, the Caspian Sea and, and then on to uh, Constantinople and stuff. So they, they sailed everywhere and then to North America. So um, that's my delusions of grandeur, as I call it. I'm, I'm always on the lookout for a Viking clinker ship. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. So. Oh my goodness. I mean, just think of the places we could go with this, Alistair. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Oh man. <laughs> Okay, Brian, you're going to have to take us with you. Okay, yes. Yes. Long, so. <laughs> yes, you will. My goodness. Oh, this this just opens up all new uh, information, folks. I mean, are you guys hearing this? This is uh, fascinating stuff. I I I I'm besides, I mean that I did hear about that that circle of, of stones, but I didn't know Stone anything in. about it. Yes. I'm so yeah. glad it was brought up here because that's fascinating. I'm just all of this, I am, man, oh man. I, I tell you what, if it, all we need is money, right? And time. All, and time. <laughs> That's what I tell people. I can find anything underwater. You just give me enough money and enough time and I will find it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's just. Okay. We got to, we got to get a hold of Marty again. <laughs> I do have one more question, Brian. Sure. Did you do any um, investigation around Oak Island? So yes. not necessarily under, but around it. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that I was did. a question that the Awoken one asked that same type of thing about looking around the island and doing some scans. Go ahead. Yeah, I uh, we did a full scan with the sonar all the way around the island. Um, it was really difficult because there's such a huge boulder field out there mm -hmm. um, that it, it was difficult to see things, uh, especially in Smith Cove's area and so forth. Um, we didn't see a lot of things on Smith Coves. On the on the south end of the island, we got to see a lot more uh, type things. Uh, there's a lot of uh, big boulder erratics around the island. We did not see anything that was like, okay, that needs to be investigated and stuff. I mean, what was cool about it, we found a couple springs out in like 600, 700 feet off Oak Island to the south. Mm -hmm where you have natural groundwater coming up and you oh, see wow. a difference in density in material. So it's kind of like this uh, mass coming through the water column and stuff like that. That was pretty cool. Um, but as far as finding anything um, uh, historical or artifact wise, uh, we did not. 
And there's also, I forget the name of it. I and This is between the mainland and Oak Island. There's a little island right there. It's right off the causeway. We did Plum Island. I think it's Plum Island. Yes, you're right. Plum Island. We did another investigation around there. I think that's kind of man-made. Um, really? Plum Island. Um, it's very circular, very round, very uniform and everything. So um, Th that's owned by Robert Young. Plum is Island. It? Okay. Robert yeah, Young. He I, also I think, owns Lot 5, I think. One of yeah, them. I think that needs to be investigated. Um, what it is, I have no idea and stuff like that. It, it, somebody may have just built it for the sake of building it. You know, um, I I've done, I've done things in Scotland where they had these ancient, uh, stone piles in the middle of these big locks and they're called Cranox and people used to live on them and they're just piles of rock. Wow. That's all they are. And they had, they would build houses on them and stuff like that. And, uh, they're ancient. They go back to the you know, the uh, Bronze Age, Stone Age uh, time period, three, 4,000 years ago. And that's what that's what Plum Island kind of reminds me of hmm. is a cranog uh, from Scotland or Ireland and, and so forth that people would live on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, but it, that that's my personal opinion. I have no proof of that, but that's what it kind of reminds me of, uh, hmm. this type of uh, structure that was man-made. So. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. Wow. So uh, yeah, we know that uh, that it, we even saw that um, uh, Tony Sampson had gone out and he was doing some, you know, scanning around when in when one of his pontoon tour boats, uh, they were out there doing some scanning and they were looking for anomalies in the water um, and didn't find a whole lot. But there was also talk, and I, and I I know this is a tangent. We got about ten minutes before two hours, and I'll okay. we'll call it good. Um, this has been fascinating. I, I'm, I'm so uh intrigued by everything that you've been talking about but there's the shipwreck there's the and i and i'm at a loss for a name alessandra for the, the isn't there like a famous shipwreck that's supposed to be close to oak island or just out um well i wish i'd known that i'd been out there to um, imaging that shipwreck. I, know, I know that um i think james mcquiston was talking about it um ah okay okay yes so um james mcquiston is a he's a theorist and an author he wrote like eight books about Oak mm -hmm. Island and he mentions a ship that would have dated to the 1600s mm -hmm. and he believes that it was um, that the crew was Scottish so it was a Scottish ship and it would have belonged to William Alex Sir William Alexander or one of his men and that that one went down in a storm and it's still somewhere in Mahone Bay and that it has I believe um found silver forks on that on that ship in the wreckage of the ship that have a symbol of a stag oh really yes so wow. so silver forks with the with a stag and that was the symbol of the strachan family okay Yes. Yeah, Tony right. Sampson was talking about it too. And I think he, uh, I was trying to, and I can't think of the name of it for the life of me. I just asked Linda real quick if she can remember what that was, but there was a name of that ship out there, supposedly. Again, I don't, I don't, I'm not a. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah. And it's supposed to be somewhere, I know, uh, somewhere near uh, Oak Island there. Um, <laughs> I can't find it that fast. Sorry. Somebody else might be able to think of it. But uh, anyway, so. Um, you know, we, we'd love to see if that's, we'll have to look into that too and to yeah. see what we can, you know, give you some information about that and, and, uh, see what can be found. Um, let's see here. 
I want to see there's a couple of good questions popping up. We're like I said, we're just about done here. Uh, let's see. There's mounting evidence to the point. Um, yeah, she said there's definitely a shipwreck very near the island. Cast members have talked about it. Yes, there. And I just I can't think of the name of. I want to say Alexandria or something. No, it's not that. Anyway, um, let's see. And this was let's see. This was John Edwards. Actually, John. Hey, John is uh, <laughs> going to be uh, co-hosting with me doing some shows here coming up. Uh, he said there's mounting evidence that that points to the path the Templars uh, stemming from Oak Island traveling through the St. Lawrence Seaway Water Passage. Um, now it's finding the archaeological uh, archaeological evidence. Uh, Alessandra, can you talk to Brian about your observation? of how the names of the cities and the waterways correlate to the names of Eastern Middle Eastern cities. Okay. All right. So, um, let's see if I can find that picture again. <laughs> by a pure coincidence, I, I found that three major cities along the Great Lakes, around the Great Lakes in North America, namely Montreal, Toronto, and Detroit, that their names are very close that they closely remember, uh, resemble um, the names of Templar or Crusader castles in the Middle East, namely huh. in Jordan and Israel. So okay. um, there was a Templar castle named Montreal. There was a castle named Toron, so not quite Toronto, okay. but close. And uh, another castle called Detroit, huh. which is very similar to Detroit. Yeah. So. I have I've got to take care of something just happened. I, I'll be right back. I got to check on yeah. something. Okay. Yeah, this is really this is really interesting because you just take the you add an S mm -hmm. and you got Detroit or take away the S and you got Detroit and also Toronto and Toron. I mean this yeah. this is this is fascinating stuff right here. I mean this, I you know, and there's going to be more. You know, as as I know, there's several people actually looking into this now, and I hope they're working That's with good. you. Well, I, I hope that they report back to me because <laughs> I have been looking high and low for more information about these three locations and how um, th they could somehow be linked to these medieval mm -hmm. Templar or Crusader castles and fortresses that still exist, by the way, all three of them still exist in modern Israel and Jordan. And what's interesting about um, Detroit is that um, the Templar fort, sorry, Crusader fortress that was named Detroit, mm -hmm. um, one of the builders of Detroit was uh, Hugh de Payen, who was the yeah. founder of the Knights Templar. So, so that's pretty cool. It very, it's very right. cool. I apologize. My oh, dog okay. for getting into something and uh, they can terrorize things pretty bad. And I didn't want to big that. So. Yeah. No yeah. I'm getting a little tired here. I don't sound very coherent. It's 1026. No. I know. You know like I said, we're wrapping up. We got about four minutes left and, yeah. I, and I will call and it I good. And I don't drink I, coffee. So yeah. <laughs> need to finish this sooner well, that's, that's why that's why you need this kind of stuff here i i don't i'm not that? sponsored by anybody but works <laughs> wonders <sponsored>. yeah <laughs> it works wonders but yeah that's this this is this is a fascinating uh story and we've got some people working on uh not me i there are there are i'll say requalify that there are some people that i know that are working on this uh the storyline here to try to get more evidence on it and i think 
they're going to come up with some really, really interesting things. And like I said, I hope they're including you, Alessandra, because um, you are the one that brought this to the table for mm -hmm. us when you and I had our. Yes, uh, I discovered our, it. <laughs> yeah, you discovered it. So you're you're and, and you've been researching this. Uh, mm -hmm. I know. So they, they definitely need to include you and, and they, they're, they're, you know, one, one of them is watching right now. So, you know, you know who you are. So you make sure you talk to <laughs> Alessandra about Sorry. this. But well, again, I'm, it goes I'm friendly. So uh, and very approachable. <laughs> yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. They so, can write to me. So, yeah, I would love to see, you know, more investigation about this. And I think that, that, uh, I think, I think Brian, I think you might, uh, you might be contacted uh, by a few people here. I hope you don't mind if I no. share your email address <laughs> uh, with Alessandra so for sure, yeah. because I know you guys yeah. want to share some stuff. And also yeah. with Sean Williamson, okay. uh, I'd like yeah. to share. So I, th I think that, man, all the, all, you know, and at me, I'm just, a, I'm just a face on YouTube. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I love bringing you all together to share this with everybody and we all get an education. That's my part of this. I do a little bit of research, but not like they do. Um, and I think that would be a fascinating thing to see all of you, uh, people getting together and looking into this. I think it's, uh, and with your experience of the great lakes and what else might be out there. Oh man. Oh, I, man. I can't, I can't imagine where, what we could discover from this. Fascinating oh, stuff. You know, the, you, you, one of the great lines I heard, I've learned from archeologists. If you want to find out what people were doing 6,000 years ago, find where the beach was. Because people were living on the beach, okay, or right near the beach. And because water levels change over time, you know, we can argue about global warming and all that type of stuff. And the other thing is that nobody went over the mountain to the valley below. They went around on water because they knew water was the highway up until 100 years ago. Yep. And everybody traveled by water. And, you know, that's how Michigan, you had phenomenal city growth. And these cities are gone today uh, from, you know, 150 years ago. You had cities that were as big as Detroit and they're gone now. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were they took everything by water. So figuring out the waterway systems, figuring out where the beach was um, is critical to finding, you know, the, the artifacts, the sunken cities, the um, the shipwrecks, you know, because everything traveled by ship and cargo was aboard ships. Yep. So, and you need a way to get get it on the ship, transport it to a site, and take it off the ship. So that's what you need to find. So, exactly. Yeah, we've got people there. So, if you you've really intrigued a lot of people. We've kept a really good crowd out here. Right. I tell you, uh, this has been fascinating. I absolutely love, and I would love to have you come back uh, sometime and and sure. go over some more things with us. Yeah. Um, and if you have other research that you're doing, again, it doesn't have to be Oak Island related. I would love to to uh to discuss it with you and hear hear some of the other stuff you've done yeah. uh anything any parting questions for you alessandra before we go oh i, I was just going to say similar, something similar to what you said i i'm very happy that i was here tonight and uh very excited to <laughs> to yeah. know that you were the one who found the stonehenge on the bottom of lake michigan oh, yes. yes all right so i i do hope we'll stay in touch and yeah, that we can absolutely talk about the three cities on the Great Lakes that mm -hmm. bear the names yeah. of Temple Castles. Yeah, and you know, um, uh, I was scared to death as a closing statement, uh, scared to death that <laughs> I did another TV show called uh, Ancient Aliens. 
Okay. And uh, it's and actually it turned out the best of any of the shows I've done. Probably twenty TV shows and uh, uh, BBC documentaries and stuff. And it turned out the best. But they they really kind of get into the stone alignment and and the the carvings and stuff like this. I don't remember the show. I was just going to ask you what was the episode called. I think it was. <sighs> season eight, if I remember right, right on ancient down. aliens. And, um, they did a really nice show about the carvings, about, uh, mm -hmm. bringing out the, uh, enhancing the rock carving of the Mastodon and the stone alignment and stuff like that. So I was really, uh, I thought, okay, it's, I've gone off the deep end. I'm an ancient aliens and stuff like that. So it's just, uh, something that, uh, uh, I was really kind of skeptical about, but, uh, it turned out really well. So if you can see that, that'll give you kind of an idea of what's going on with stuff with the stone right. alignment. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely going to be checking that out. Yeah. I, so. I have one recommendation for our yeah. viewers, if I may. Yeah. Yes, so there's a, there's a book called um, Canada's Stonehenge. I don't quite remember the author off the top of my head, but it's called Canada's Stonehenge. And he talks about stone circles in, I think, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, so on, on the prairie. Huh. And they're called sun wheels by the native people, yeah. but they, they are aligned with, um, I would say, winter solstice, summer solstice, um, the Pleiades. I, I have the book maybe somewhere behind me even. No, I just have Templar books behind me, but <laughs> I have several pieces in my house. No. <laughs> yeah, so one of them is called, um, one of the books I have is called Canada Stonehenge. And it was, I think, a professor from a, a university in Alberta that mapped these stone circles. And um, the, the book is very nice. So there's not just the stone circle on the bottom of Lake Michigan. We also have them on the Canadian prairie. Yeah, yeah. so... Wow. Well, I tell you what, this has been a fascinating couple of hours. I, I cannot thank you enough, both uh, Brian Abbott, for coming on uh, and sharing your insights with us and all of that. And also, Alessandra, thank you so much for co-hosting with me tonight. Um, love it when you do. You. you always help bring out so much more from our guests than I could possibly do. So I really do appreciate you very much. But again, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. This has You're been welcome. great. I, I know that the folks have loved it. Uh, and again, this is out on YouTube. If you'd like, at some point, you can actually join our Facebook group. Oh, um, okay. If you'd like, you know, that's up to you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, this is out there. It stays on our U uh, Facebook group and it stays out on YouTube. Um, and you can, you know, share it with your friends or anyone else that uh, you'd like. And sometimes, you know, if we... Uh, and it, there's a lot. We've got 170 comments already of people that have uh, commented during the two hours here. Um, so they, if you ever do, if you'd like, you can always go back and kind of because I know a lot of people have made questions or asked questions and said comments and stuff that I've missed because I'm paying attention yeah. to what's going on here. But um, but I will throw that invite out to you if you'd like. Okay, we'll sure. I'd, I'd love to. So go from there. So, yeah. But again, thank you so much. Thanks, folks, for being here with us tonight. Uh, we're going to wrap things up. This has been fascinating with uh, Brian Abbott and Alessandra. And I tell you what, uh, like I said, thank you so much for being here. And if you're out there on YouTube side, please click on that subscribe button for us and uh, click the notification bell if you'd like to know more about uh, shows coming up and uh, as we bring up new content on there. We also have our Patreon channel uh, it is jfree906 if you'd like to help support the show. We do have a couple folks that do that. And we appreciate you very much. All right, everybody. I've had a great time. 
Uh, you can say good night and we'll talk, call it a good one. Good night, everybody. Thank you for your attention. Bye, Brian. Bye, Jeff. Good night, everyone. Thank you for your time. All right. Hang out just a minute.